at least 45 million Americans are uninsured and many more are underinsured. Why does the wealthiest nation on earth tolerate this? I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is Dr. Stephen Schroeder. Dr. Schroeder is Distinguished Professor of Health and Healthcare of the Division of General Internal Medicine at UCSF, where he also heads the Smoking Cessation Leadership Center. He currently serves as Chairman of the International Advisory Committee of the Ben Gurion School of Medicine and is a member of the Editorial Board of the New England Journal of Medicine. Welcome to ReachMD. Thanks. It's good to be with you. Now, Steve, why is this country so tolerant of people being uninsured? Well, that's a question a lot of us here ask, and that foreigners, it just blows them away. I mean, here there's this country which is renowned for being warm-hearted, for the Marshall Plan, for doing all these great things, and yet we tolerate up to now 47 million people uninsured. Why do we do it? We do it for a variety of reasons. One is, I think it's been with us so long that it's no longer visible. Second is we have some myths. One of them is that people choose to go uninsured or that they get all the health care that they need anyhow. And a third one is that to get there, to get everybody covered, is going to require some kind of a major government role. And this is a country that is less receptive to having government planning or activities than almost any other country, with a major exception, of course, of our military presence. Now, here's the million-dollar question. What do you see as the most likely solutions to this problem? Well, I don't think it's a technical issue. I think it's an issue of politics. And right now, you've got one very important party that says, we don't want to do it. We think that the cost of covering everybody, both in terms of monetary and also in terms of government intrusion into our lives, is going to be more important than actually covering people. And that party currently occupies the presidency and has a very large number of people in both houses of Congress. So I don't think there is any solution right now that can get us to full coverage that the Republicans would buy into. Well, that's kind of provocative. It is. <laughs> well, in fact, William Crystal, in during the Clinton Health Plan, wrote a very influential, very well-reasoned memo to his colleagues to say, let's oppose it because if it passes, the Democrats will get all the credit and it'll set back our party. And there doesn't seem to be enough counter-argument from other members of his party to say, well, we could get there and share the credit. And that's sort of the way that it's playing out right now. So as a physician, what can we do? Well, I think we can do several things. We can, one, make the problem more visible. During the whole managed care area, uh, I got a lot of calls from journalists saying, isn't it terrible that under managed care we don't have as much choice of what we're doing? I said, yeah, that's really bad. Isn't it even worse that at that point, it was 40 million people who weren't covered with health care insurance. And they would either brush me off or say, I don't know anybody who isn't covered, in which case I'd say, look at the people who are flipping your hamburgers, mm -hmm. mowing your lawn, caring for your kids, driving your taxis. Or they would say, I'd like to run that story, but my editor isn't interested. So I think it's like smoking and being overweight. It's a problem mainly with the poor. The poor don't vote very much. They don't make any contributions to various political campaigns, so their level of influence is much less here than in other countries. We don't have a labor party, and so we've sort of tolerated this. And frankly, doctors, this has not been the major issue for doctors. It's not that easy to be a doctor these days, and particularly if you're in primary care, you're working really hard to try to keep things going. 
But with the exception of a few smaller groups, organized medicine hasn't taken this on. And how do you counter the argument that, oh, the uninsured eventually figure out how to get care anyway? The Institute of Medicine did a wonderful set of studies looking at all the data. And it's true, if you're in a car accident, break your femur, you'll be taken to the hospital. But if you have asthma or breast cancer or heart disease, if you don't have any insurance coverage, you're going to die earlier, you're going to suffer more, you're going to miss more work. You just Life is worse. And ask anybody who makes that argument if they want to trade in their health insurance card. I bet most of them are going to say, absolutely not. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Stephen Schroeder, and we're discussing the problem of the uninsured. So, Steve, how is it that other countries don't have this problem? Uh, (laughs) A lot of us worry about that. I think they solved it really early. I mean, it's much harder for our country to do it now that we're spending 16% of GDP on healthcare than it would have been back when we were 6%. So most of them have had it solved for decades. So that's one. Secondly, I think this country is wonderful with, with entrepreneurship. And we basically say, let's give people the freedom to be creative and to think of new products and to sell them, and we will value that. We're not as big on solidarity. Solidarity is not such a big deal. And if you look recently, our public schools aren't doing all that well either. So that's a second reason. And the third reason is government. Very hard to get to universal coverage without some role for government. And since the inception of this country, we have not really uh, wanted a strong central government. We've wanted all these checks and balances. And in most instances, that stood us very, very well. But it sure has left a lot of people unprotected with medical care. Now, when you were with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, weren't you involved in in trying to change policy or at least set up some model sorts of systems or expectations? We actually did two things. One of the things we did was when SCHIP, the program to expand children's health insurance coverage, was passed, we got very involved in the marketing of that, trying to simplify uh, Medicaid eligibility forms, trying to let people who didn't speak English know that they could sign up. And as a result of that and those efforts and many, many others by many, many other groups, actually, while the rate of uninsurance was going up, the rate of kids uncovered was going down. So that was very good. The other thing we did was we tried to put together a strange bedfellows coalition. So we got (laughs) small businesses and labor and all these people who you would never think would come to the table, all of whom had one first choice, but their second choice was to do really nothing. We got them to say, We'll talk together, we'll go out in forums, and we'll really try to spotlight the need to solve this problem. The coalition sort of startled a lot of people that it it was able to be formed and it did things, but I'm sorry to say that its influence wasn't very great. So how can we change that? I think it's got to start in uh, politics. So There has to be a sufficient threat to people that they're going to lose their health care coverage. Now, it's interesting, That's we're going to drip, 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 in terms of the number of workers covered by health insurance in their company is going down. So we're down to only about 60% of workers now are covered by their company. At some point, we're going to get to a point where the premiums are so costly, so many people are uncovered or are worried about the threat that they're going to say, this is an issue I want our politicians to help me on. A lot of people thought they were there in 92, 93, but it turns out that The support was thinner than people had had thought. Whether we'll be there in 2009, I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know that. (laughs)
So if you were appointed a king of the world, or at least king of the United States, and could manipulate this any way that you wanted, what would you do? My first royal decree <laughs> would be to say that everybody was covered with health insurance and then I try to figure out how to do it and get smart people to figure out how to do it and try to work to get costs under control so it doesn't bankrupt the Treasury. But I think it's such a moral imperative. It's just so shocking that this wealthy country, which does so many other things, is willing to consign 47 million people to hit or miss charity care. I'm embarrassed for our country that that, that happens, and I would try to fix that. And your wish list of solutions? You know, the solution, I'm not doctrinaire about getting there via any special way. So I would take whichever solution I could get the most kind of support for. I'm not one who says it ought to be plan A or plan B or plan C, but I think everybody ought to be covered. That, for me, is the the most critical bottom line. Now, can we tackle the coverage issue first and then deal with the cost issue, or do we have to do both of them together, which really does seem overwhelming to most of us? That's a great question, and there are two camps. There's one camp that says, let's do the coverage first, and then you have a much better leverage to do cost. The other that says, if you don't do the costs at the same time as the coverage, your coverage is going to vanish because people, you know, there's just not going to be a sufficient amount of, of revenue to pay for it. So uh, I'm in the awkward kind of position of saying I think both sides are, are probably correct. <laughs> Well, when you're king Which of the world. Which is why I'm not king of the world. <laughs> really. Well, when you are king of the world, you can get away with that, right? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> so you'd mentioned earlier in terms of individual things, what we can do is just talk about it and make it an issue in our day-to-day lives. Anything else that as physicians our listeners can do? Oh, I think we could ask the organizations that represent us, whether we're pediatricians or internists or your field and in our state medical societies, just to say, We really want progress on this issue. And just to be strident, I mean, doctors have a lot of influence. People really listen to them. But we're not speaking out very much on this issue. Do you think part of that is because it may be perceived as feathering our own nest? No, I think a lot of what we're speaking out is feathering our own nest. (laughs) Yeah, we're not shy about that. Services and things like that. So I don't think that's holding us back. Well, we've been discussing the problem of the uninsured in this country with our guest, Dr. Stephen Schroeder. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments, so please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening. 